Will you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2. Boy, there's some good news coming from heaven. Hallelujah. His word by hope secures. I won't sing. We'll let Erica do that. But uh, I want to sing because I'm here to tell you. There's some good news coming from heaven. Can you stand with me as you get over there to it in honor and respect of God's holy word? 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll back up and keep forging ahead through the book of 1 Peter. But you, church, you, individual believer, are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's good news, amen? amen. All right, praise his name. Beloved, beloved church, church member, part of the bride of Christ, beloved, I beg you then, as sojourners and pilgrims, this is not my home, this isn't your home, we're just passing through, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to a king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. What he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls." Praise His name. That's the Word of the living God. Amen. Will you be seated? Do you remember the outline that we're following right now? We're going through it. And we're adding to the outline each week, God willing. And this week we'll add to it uh, in this text. But you remember the outline starting in verse 9 through 11 that we've been following? It starts with all P's. Does anybody remember? 
position, praise, posture, and the posture is surrender. And then the one we're going to add to it today is pattern. Pattern. Okay? We've got position. The Apostle Paul tells us in verse 9 that we're a part of a holy nation. We're a chosen generation. We're God's own special people that He's drawn to His bosom, that we have been purchased by Him, the purchased possession of God. We're, 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 uh, we're, we're in Christ. We're no longer in Adam as repentant believers. We're now in Christ. You're either in Adam and condemned, or you're in Christ and you're justified and there's no in-between. And praise God, hallelujah, through repentance toward God and faith in His dear Son and the work that He accomplished through His cross on Calvary and raising Him from the dead three days later. And now He's at the Father's right hand. He ever lives to make intercession for us and He's soon coming back, which may be today. Because of His finished work, this is true of a repentant believer. Praise God. There's nothing but good news coming from heaven on God's elect. God's own. And if you've repented toward Him and put faith in His dear Son, you are chosen. You're part of a chosen generation. You're part of a royal priesthood. You're part of a holy nation that's eternal. And there's not a thing in the world the enemy can do about it. It is an eternal proposition. The Bible says in Psalm 37 that saints are preserved forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's our position. What should come from that? What should flow from that? Paul, it should be nothing but praise. Praise to the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not the people of God, who now are the people of God, who once had not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. And because of our position and the praise that, that, should, that should flow from that, our posture should be that of surrender. Not to make all those things true, but because they are. Man, because that's true, because of Jesus Christ and He purchased me and my sorry self, my rebellious, murderous heart, and has transformed me from darkness to light, has given me mercy instead of what I deserve from Him was His eternal judgment, separation from Him in hell. Because of all of that, and because of the praises that are evoked from that, should I wrestle with Him over surrender? Should I quibble over whether or not I should surrender my life in greater measure to Him. It's for all the right reasons when it flows from there. And that's what the Apostle Paul says here in verse, uh, in the, in the verse 19. He says, Beloved, um, 13 rather, Beloved, now because all that's true and because you're a pilgrim, you're a sojourner to sit in home, turn away from fleshly lusts, submit. And we talked about the fact that the rest of the book Brothers and sisters, now listen, whether this is a hard pill to swallow or not, this is the Word of God, the rest of the book and the framework that holds or kind of the glue that holds the rest of the book, the first Peter together, is submission to authority. If we fly high over the book, the first one is, like we talked about in verse 13, is submission to government authority. Then if you look down, and we covered it just then, in verse 18, is submission to employers, employees, Submitting to an employer. If you're a business owner, your customers are your employer. Submission, even to the harsh ones. And then, if you look again and turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, wives submitting to their husbands. And then, if you fan over a little bit further and move over to uh, chapter 5 and look at verse 5, it says, Likewise, 
you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. And then he elaborates on those levels of submission. We talked about this time and again. To a surrendered believer who subscribes to the fact that all of those positional truths are indeed true, who takes the time to meditate on those truths and let them take root in their heart, lives a life of praise and joy and ultimate surrender. We talked about the fact that when you're submissive to God's delegated authority, it's the same thing as being submissive to His inherent authority. Because God's inherent authority and His delegated authority are one and the same. There's no separation in the Bible. You can't find one. I, I, I challenge you to try. There is no separation in the Bible, no divorce between God's inherent authority, the authority He has as God, and the authority He delegates to men. Men's authority flows from God's authority. Now, when you're in disagreement with the authority that you're under, that's a hard pill to swallow. When, you, when, you, when you're under authority that is, is kind to you and is easy to get along with, if you have a boss that's a true leader and tries to help you develop your career, a boss that overlooks some things that might be weaknesses of yours and tries to help you work through the weaknesses, a boss who engages in your career and tries to help you, Man, submission is just a wonderful thing. Hallelujah. Oh, I'll submit to that kind of leader. But what about the ones that are not so reasonable? What about the ones that are tough? What about the ones that are manipulative? What about the ones that are outright evil? We go back and say, wait a minute now. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're messing with me there. You're messing with me there. You know, I'm cool with that other part. But you start doing this and you start calling for this, the price is too high. And some of us do that. We assess the price is too high. I'm out of here. I'm checking out. It's like the little story of little Johnny. You know, little Johnny's in the classroom, and he's a he's a uh, he's a uh, uh, rambunctious little fella. And he's all over the classroom, and he's grabbing this person and pulling on that ponytail and, and messing around. And the teacher finally says, "Okay, I know this. I know this little boy. If I spank him, which I can't do anymore, but let's just say I could. If I spanked him, it wouldn't do any good." The worst thing I can do to little Johnny is make him sit on the corner and be still. That's punishment for Johnny. And so he goes over in the corner and he's sitting still. And the teacher comes over about two hours later, recognizing the angst that's in his face for having to be able to sit still like that. And she says, well, how are things going? And he says, well, teacher, let me tell you this. On the outside, I'm sitting still. But on the inside, I'm running around all over this room. And I'm here to tell you, we got some Christians who are sitting still on the outside. But on the inside, they're running around all over the room. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Now, listen. If you, if you want to go to the Bible and let God speak to you what you need to hear as opposed to what you want to hear, if you go and approach the Bible that you want to hear what you want to hear, it is always at the cost of what you need to hear. Isaiah 30 says, speak to us smooth sayings and tell us what we want to hear. Don't prophesy the truth in front of us. Go to the seer and to the prophet and say, tell us what we want to hear. But dear brothers and sisters, if we approach the Word of God and look at it from the standpoint of what we want to hear, it's always at the expense of what we need to hear. Now we talked about last week and we talked about the fact that we need to submit to government authority. 
that God clearly, in the Bible, clearly established government authority. We're not going to go through those verses again. But we are going to, to draw some spiritual truth here to make sure that you understand this text and I understand this text as best we can. When he comes out, he comes at the end of it, and he says, now this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bond slave of God. We use the example of Peter paying the poll tax. You recall it. That he goes up to, they go up to Peter and they say, is your, is your master going to pay the poll tax, which is a tit tax that they collected in order to upkeep the temple. It was prescribed in the law in Exodus that they would collect this tax. And Jesus knew that Peter was wrestling with that, whether or not. He said, yeah, my master's going to pay it. But then he walks in where, where Jesus is and he says, and Jesus knew what was stirring in his heart. He said, Peter, let me ask you a question. Do men collect taxes from the sons of kings or from strangers? He said, Lord, they collect them from strangers. He says that the sons are free, right? He said, yeah. He said, but you know what? Lest we offend them, let's pay the tax. What he was saying was that temple belongs to my father. As a matter of fact, every part of that temple points to me. I'm his son. I'm exempt from paying this tax. But I am not going to take the freedom from paying the tax and use it as a cloak for vice and run the risk of offending people that I came to save. So go into the lake, pull out a fish, and when you do, there are going to be two coins in there and it's going to be enough to pay mine and yours. Take the money out of the fish's mouth and pay the tax. We're here for a bigger purpose. Let's don't live a puny life. We're here for a bigger purpose. This, this world is passing away the lust thereof. And the man who does the will of God abides forever. The world and the world system has been judged by God. It's going to be taken out by fire. It's not going to last. It's not going to make it. We're here to live and be and proclaim the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's how God's most glorified. Through the gospel of His dear Son. And if something's going to undermine my proclamation and practice of the gospel, I'm just not going to do it. Do you know what the principle is here? The principle is this. Love limits liberty. There might be things that I might be free to do as a Christian that I don't do simply because I'm aiming at a higher purpose. That is to show somebody the redeeming power and grace of the one who snatched me out of hell and has purchased for me a place in heaven. Oh, dear ones, that's the call on your life. You would have to step down to become president of the United States. That's why you're here. That's why you're in the cubicle. That's why you're in the neighborhood. That's why we're placed here. That's why there's a church in Kenya and others that we're believing that God's going to plant out of this church is to be and proclaim the gospel of God's dear Son. We're here to live for His glory. We're not here to latch on to what we're going to lose anyway. C.S. Lewis said it once and it's really true. You aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. You aim for earth, you'll get neither. 
He comes to the end of this and he says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. You know why we should honor all people? Because people are made in the image of God. That's why. I had a couple of Jehovah Witnesses at my house the other day on my front porch. They got to where they're coming over all the time on Saturdays. And we were talking. And he said, how do you believe in this triune God? How does it make sense that God could be three in one? I said, you're three in one. If you're three in one, why, does it, why, do you, why do you feel it so foreign to believe that God's three in one? He said, what do you mean? I said, you have a soul. Mind, will, and emotions. You have a body. You have a soul. And you have a dead spirit. You get saved, your spirit will be made alive. Your spirit's dead right now. I said, but there's three parts to you, and you're one. You know why? Because you were made in the image of God. We need to start seeing people that way. And let me tell you something else. And this is something that we drive home in this fellowship and we will continue to drive home in this fellowship. This is a profound truth. Lost people act lost. Lost people act lost. We should not be appalled at the fact that they do. We should be appalled when saved people act lost. And hold each other accountable and pray for one another. Honor all people. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Love the brotherhood. Oh my. We could spend a week, a series on that one. Let me tell you something right now. Most people come from dysfunctional families. As a matter of fact, every family is dysfunctional because of sin. Alright? We all got we're all messed up. God didn't send his son for fixed people. He sent his son for sick people, and we're all sick. But the dysfunctionality that exists inside the church repels people away from it. If you think, oh man, if I get involved with that bunch, they are no different than the family I grew up in. They gripe, they fuss, they complain. They don't love one another. They don't encourage one another. They don't overlook faults. They highlight them. They don't pray for one another. They don't do all these things. You say that Jesus makes a difference. If He doesn't make a difference in your church, then does He really make a difference? Don't just add another burden to me. Don't make my life more difficult than it already is. Don't you see it? We're dysfunctional people. We've been put into a church that's functional. There's nothing wrong with our husband, but the bride is in process. Let's be patient with one another. Let's love each other through our faults. Let's forgive one another. Let's turn the other cheek. Let's serve one another. And most of all, let's pray for one another. My brother-in-law just became principal of, what's that school system over there? Johnson County School System. And walk is what is it? Watkinsville? Wrightsville. Wrightsville is the, is the uh, high school there. And there was a girl that came in. And of course, nowadays in public schools, their hands, you know what? I mean, you know what all they have to put up with. This, this school is, this school is, is, is um, anarchy, practically. He was the assistant principal last year. This girl comes into his office and says, Mr. Sharp, and just starts telling him off, treating him disrespectfully. And he looked up at her real calm. And he's, 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 he's 10 feet tall. And so he kind of just stood up like that. He's not intimidating, but he's got his real tall frame. And he said, you know what you need? You need somebody to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. That girl's heart melted right in front of him. The next day, he came up to him and said, Mr. Sharp, i got another prayer request. Can you pray for me? 
And now she started telling her friends throughout the school, you go see Mr. Sharp because Mr. Sharp will pray for you. Amen? Boy, if we acted like that in the body of Christ, they started looking at one another as in incentives to pray. Look at it, John 13, 34 and 35. You're very familiar with these verses. But you know what? Most of, most of preaching is not anything new. It's just to remind you of whatever's already there. The Apostle Paul said that. Remind them of these things. Look at John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It doesn't say anything about the size of your building, whether you not even have one. And that's not because I'm jealous because we don't have a building. We do have a building. We're in one, right? It's not because of the uh, the cars that are in the parking lot. It's not how often you meet. It's not how many, how little you meet. It's not this. It's not that. It's not the size of the altar. It's not what your pastor. It's not this. It's that. The world recognizes genuine Christian faith when we have love for one another. We have love for one another. Look at First John three twenty three. It's all over the Bible. We're just going to go to a couple of spots. Oh, if that were true of this fellowship. And you know what? It is true of this fellowship, but we can do better. The Apostle Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians for that reason. He said, you're doing good and loving one another, but you can do better. The Bible says, did you know the Bible says to pursue love? Did you know it says that? It says pursue love. Much is at stake, isn't it? First John 3. Let's look at verse... Um, in verse 23. This is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what? And love one another as He gave us commandment. That's high ranking. If you rank belief in Jesus Christ and right below it, love one another, belief and repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ is what saved you if you're saved. And God puts that right back in and, and you know what? Right up there with it. Right up there with it after having tasted the goodness of God and salvation. Love one another. Love one another. 1 John 5.1 1 John 5.1 God gives us things. It just God habitually gives me things to pray in threes. It's probably because He knows I can't handle four. But it's habitual. I mean, it really, I'm honestly, it's just amazing. And one of the things He gave us to pray over this fellowship is that we would daily grow in faith, love, and holiness. Faith, love, and holiness. He spoke of that to us through First Thessalonians. Whoever believes that Jesus is, is the Christ is born of God and everybody who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. Did you see that? Everyone who loves the one who birthed you into the kingdom loves the others that God birthed there. They're not separate. Just like that. Galatians 6.10 This is one of the reasons why this church is named Household of Faith. Galatians 
Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Can I say this to you? This is stretching a little bit. You can send an email about this. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer. So if you send the email, it's not going to have too much teeth. The Bible says a man who does not take care of his own is worse than an unbeliever. What does that say about us as a church? Hmm? Do good to everybody, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Man, whether you disagree with a believer or wherever you're at with them, if, God, if they've repented toward God and put faith in His Son, they belong to Him. If that profession of faith is real, God will sort that out. I think He's big enough to figure that out. But if they've got a profession of faith, a repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ, and they are a professing brother or sister, we owe them love. Fear God. <clears throat> Fear God. Honor all people. They're made in the image of God. Love the brotherhood. Don't only distinguish your mark that marks us out as being one of God's disciples. Do good to everybody, especially to the, those of the household of faith. And then it says, fear God. Psalm 111, verse 10. Turn way left, and let's go to Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111. <clears throat> There's a bunch of others, you know that. But it's just, just we're going to go over this one. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Oh, dear one. The fear of God. Other fears, we talked about it before, draw you away from the source. If you have a dog in your neighborhood, we got some dogs in our backyard, in our neighborhood. If they ever get loose, uh, I'll outrun Catherine, finally. But I'm here to tell you, they, they evoke fear. I run away from them. Fearing God makes you run to Him. Understand who He is. Daddy, Abba, Father, nestled under the wings of the One who delivered me from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and praise God one day from His presence. Hallelujah. Oh, to fear Him is to know Him, and to know Him is to fear Him. We talked about it before, but Jesus said, don't fear men because all they can do is kill you. After that, they're done with you. They can drag you through the street. It's your dead body. The Spirit's already separated from it. No big deal. After the kill, they're done. You need to fear the one who not only can kill you, but can throw you in hell. Fear him. He's talking about himself. And then he said, do not fear. Why? Because if you fear God, it'll release you from all those fears. If you don't fear God, you'll fear everything. The fear of God is the beginning of the wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So this is fear of God. Now here's the one that we have. We got to swallow hard. Honor the King. Delegated authority, inherit authority, one and the same. God's inherit authority as God. He's God. Inherit authority. Delegated authority flows from His inherit authority. We want them to divorce. We want to cut it. We want to slice it with a knife and say, "Wait a minute, now, Lord." Republican, Democrat, you know, uh, liberal, conservative, libertarian. Get the, mm, yeah, wait a minute, that king. No, no. You know, we want to. We will just try so hard to separate those two, but they're inseparable. But the Bible says that God establishes all rule and authority for a transcendent purpose that's above you and I. 
We're being called upon to trust Him at a different level is what we're doing. We're being called upon to say, you know what, God, you're smarter than I am. You know more than I do. I fear you. I reverence you. You are all wise, all-knowing God. It says, honor the king. Now listen, it does not say worship the king. It says honor him. There's only one who is due our worship. Hallelujah. We don't worship any delegated authority from God. We worship the God who gave them their authority. And from whom it flows. It doesn't say to worship the authority. It says honor. Do you know what that word means? It means to fix value on the king. That's what it means. Assign value to the king regardless of who he is. You think you have to swallow hard as a Christian right now to receive that. What if the emperor was Nero? You'd have to do more than swallow hard. You'd probably have to sit there and think, you know what, my cousin, who's a cousin, was killed by him and he lit up his garden party by burning him as a stake. And the Bible says, honor him. Don't you know the Christians that received this must have gone, some of them, saying, Paul, I mean, Peter, you've lost your mind. What's wrong with you? Go back to fishing. You've eaten too many crawdads. Something's wrong. That cannot be that you're calling upon us to honor a tyrant ruler who is persecuting all of us empire-wide. But yet there's a transcendent purpose for it all. We don't call for persecution. We don't ask for it. We don't enjoy it. But you know what? If we're called upon to submit to God in the midst of it, so be it. So be it. The Bible says in Acts 17.26, that all the borders of nations are drawn by the finger of God. Did you know that? In Acts 17.26. As a matter of fact, let's look at it. Go to Acts 17.26, if you will, please. Let's go over there to 17.26. Acts 17.26. Here we see the transcendent purpose of God right here. And He... I'll give you a second to get over there. It's great to hear those Bibles turning. And He has made them one, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. Next time you look at a globe, I love to look at globes. I do, that's fun to me. And you look at a globe and you see it drawn out like that? and you see all the nations and the borders, just remember that those borders were, born, were drawn by the finger of God. And they were drawn for a transcendent holy God to so work with men to bear witness of His Son. It's part of God seeking us. We don't seek Him, He seeks us. But He draws it in seeking us so that those who have been called to His own will seek Him. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. What if the authority tells us to do something that's contrary to our Christian faith? We've got biblical examples of that. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. Let's go look at it. We'll cover that and then we'll close. And Daniel <clears throat> chapter 3. <clears throat> you know the story. Most of the children here probably could recount this event. 
not 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 story. It's an event, history. Daniel three, verse twelve. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the commandment to bring Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, It is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Is it true? Now if you're ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I love their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we don't have to have a meeting, we don't have to have a conference, we don't have to call for any kind of counsel on this. We, we just tell you right now, our decision is this, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We can give it to you now. If you do that, the God we serve is able to deliver us, but whether He does or not, whether He delivers us out of your hand or not, let it be known to you right now, we will not bow down to you. Honor the king, not worship him. You know the story. They were falling in the furnace. Who was there with them? They looked in there and saw four standing there, and one of them looked like the Son of God. Jesus Christ was in the furnace with them. He'll be in the furnace with you. We don't, honor, we don't worship the king. We honor him. There is a difference. Worship goes to the Lord and Him alone. Daniel chapter 6, verse 11. <clears throat> this time Daniel is the lead character. Well, Jesus is the lead character and He's working through Daniel. You recall that <clears throat> Daniel faithfully served his God. And with the call to prayer, to prayer and bow, to bow down to pagan gods came, he kept bowing to his one true God. They had conspired against him. You know why they conspired against him? Because they were jealous of him. Because the Bible says he had an excellent spirit on him. And so all the other guys who were in leadership and vying for, for, for power in, in, uh, in, the, in the kingdom, he was outpacing every one of them because God's hand was on him. He had an excellent spirit. His decisions were wise and prudent. He was an administrator. God's favor was on him. They thought, well, let's conspire against him and find something's wrong with him. We'll bring an accusation. And they looked around and examined his life and couldn't find anything wrong with him. Oh, well, all right, let's encourage the king to set out a law that says that you've got to worship him. And everybody who does it and continues to pray to their God is going to be killed. And then we'll get him. Because I know he won't deny his God. And sure enough, he didn't. So they called him doing it, go back and report to the king. And the king's sad. He's sad because now he's set up a law they cannot go against because he can't do that. And he's sad because he's got to punish what he knows to be a loyal servant. See, he was honored by Daniel, but he wasn't worshipped by Daniel. And even the king knew that. And it, it tore him to pieces to have to punish Daniel. And he said, you know what? I think it's a good possibility. I'm going to throw you in the lion's den. But I think there's a possibility you're going to come out of this alive. Because your God is big. I've seen him do big things. And I've heard about big things he's done through you. And you've trusted him. And you've never denied him. Yet remain loyal to me. There was no inconsistency. He honored the king. But he worshipped God. When he was called upon to worship the king. And worship God. He chose God. 
Because if you don't choose God, then you're not worshiping Him. He doesn't share His glory with anybody. And Daniel knew that. And so he remained loyal to his God, but still honored the king. Don't tell me you can't do that. Daniel did that. But when those two intersected and he was called upon to make the right decision, praise His name, Jesus made the right decision through Daniel. They threw him in the lion's den, and he's standing there looking out the opening of the crack of the lion's den with his hands bound like that. And the lions are walking around, licking their chops. They cannot find themselves to even bite a hair on him because the God of glory proved himself faithful. Amen! Hallelujah! Don't you just love that story? In Acts chapter 4, let's turn back into the New Testament. Acts chapter 4. You honor the king, you do not worship the king. You honor the king, but you do not worship the king. You cannot honor your king, you cannot worship your king without honoring his delegated king. We might disagree with the President of the United States, but we have no business talking in a disrespectful way about it. Did you know the same word that honor is translated from? The same Greek word that honor is translated from is the same word that is translated honor your father and your mother. Now y'all going to go out here saying, Pastor Lindsay said we're supposed to honor President Obama the same way we honor our mother and father. I'm just telling you that's the same Greek word it came from. And I'm telling you much that comes out of talk radio is nothing but slanderous, sinful talk over the radio. And most of us need to quit listening to it. We need to start just following Him. We don't have to agree with His policies to honor Him. But we're not here to overthrow the government. We're here to declare the gospel. Acts 4.8. Here's the intersection here. Acts 4.8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If this day we are judged... Uh, for the good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well. Let it be made known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the builder rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. They gave testimony, and they said, okay, here's the deal. We forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, let me tell you this, judge this. Either we obey you and disobey God, or we obey God and disobey you. But the last word he said to us was this. Go! And when that word go, intersects with authority. We go. We go. We go and we accept the consequences of having gone. If it means jail, if it means shunning, if it means whatever it means, if it means unjustly accused, if it means false accusations, whatever on the horizon it may mean, when honoring intersects go, you go. That's the last word that Jesus gave. Before He left this earth, go and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. You go. And so in going, 
But you know what? There's normally no intersection between submitting to authority and going because most of us are not going. You know what that word means? It means as you are going. It doesn't mean go to Iceland unless God tells you to go there. It means go to Publix. And when you buy your meat at Publix, will to witness to God's Son. It means to go next door and offer some help and encouragement to your neighbor. You passed by 800 households filled with lost people to get here this morning. So did I. A lame man was healed. Everybody knew it was God that did it. The religious people are threatened because their positions are up in arms now. They're worried about their standing because that's all they cared about anyway. And they said, you know what? We command you not to do this because everybody knows this was God. If you shut up, our problem's over. And Peter said, you know what? Respectfully so. We're not going to shut up. The last marching orders we got from the guy who put you in charge said, go. We're going to go. Do what you want. Do what you have to. But we're going. Amen? You see, dear ones, the tougher it comes to submit, the greater the potential for the gospel to be displayed. The tougher it comes becomes to submit, the greater the potential for the gospel to be displayed. What are we about? I just want to close with this thought. I've thought about this text many times, and there are many things you can live from the text. I know that. I mean, I know that. In, in Matthew 17, maybe you could pull all kinds of things out of it. But in Matthew 17, <clears throat> when Peter was instructed to go get the coins, Luke, out of a fish. I wonder why God did that. Why would God have him go get the coins out of a fish's mouth? You know what I think it was? I think it was a gentle reminder to Peter on the day he got saved. In Luke chapter 5, he said, cast a net over there. Lord, we've caught nothing all night. Master, we've caught nothing all night. And he's over there grumbling and griping and complaining. We just got through cleaning these nets. We're fixing to put them up. I'm worn slap out. There's no fish out there. If you looked at the depth finder, there's nothing out there. And he's over there grumbling and griping and complaining like that. And the Lord's over just patiently waiting. Just stand. I could, it's almost like the Lord was just standing there. Looking at him. No instant son throw it on the other side. He threw out the net on the other side. Had to call another boat because our boats were sinking because they got in such a great catch. And Peter didn't go over there and say, oh, let's have a giant fish fry. Let's have a giant fish fry. Because we caught some fish. He went over there, fell at the master's feet, called him Lord, and said, depart from me because I'm a wicked man. And Jesus said, get up, son. From now on, you will catch men. And I think he went over there and grabbed those coins out of that fish. His mouth as a reminder to him, son. I call you to fish. I call you to fish. Are we going to use the freedom that we have not to pay this tax to offend, risk offending the people that I've called you to fish for? No. No. 
That's why it came out of the mouth of a fish. Let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. If you're in and you've repented toward God, you've put faith in His Son, God called you to fish. God called you to fish. Let's go to fishing. Amen. Let's wet a hook. Let's throw it out there. And you know what? God's responsible for the catch. And let's proclaim the gospel by the way that we live and by the way that we speak. Go to fishing.